0: Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. Is it alarmist to say we're on track for another Summer of the Gun in Toronto? There's been a dramatic increase in gun violence in the downtown core with the number of shootings up 167 percent this year compared to the same time last year. So the numbers are a little bit less alarming when you look at them in terms of the raw numbers, because so far this year there have been 24 shootings in the downtown core. That's the areas uh, covered by 51 division and 52 division, uh, and that compares to the first five months of 2017, when there were nine shootings. So across the whole city, there were 48 homicides. The latest, just this morning, a man was shot and killed in the Dundas and Sherbourne area of downtown Toronto. Yesterday, a woman was killed in a drive-by shooting in the Lawrence and Allen Road area. Now you heard what Police Chief Mark Saunders had to say about it. Here's what the mayor thinks about it.
0: When we see things like this past weekend's events, uh, I feel a combination of anger uh, towards the people who are doing it. I feel frustrated because we are I think the police are making an excellent effort uh, under the leadership of Chief Saunders to address it. Uh, but most of all, I feel a sense of determination. And that is a determination that says that, uh, you know, led by the work of the police, we are going to root these people out gang by gang, neighborhood by neighborhood, block by block. And that's exactly what the police service is doing. I think they proved that last week. And we're going to get these people off the streets.
1: Okay, so uh, the other thing that the mayor said is that this is still a safe city. We want to hear from you, of course. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 740 And right now, I am here with Ross McLean, a safety and security expert and former police officer. Hi, Ross.
2: Yeah, heck of a mm-hmm. day to be here with you, Libby. Uh,
1: are you alarmed by this? Uh,
2: I've seen this coming. I've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, it's a problem we have, and but it is still certainly alarming to see five homicides over a weekend like this.
1: Uh-huh. And um, is it a matter of gang violence? Uh,
2: that's part of it, a, a big part of it. Uh, we've got a small... A community of people that are creating the biggest havoc, who are some of the most ruthless killers uh, we've ever seen, who show no remorse, uh, no sense of morality in how they use their weapons. And when we saw that they were fired into a playground just a little over a week or so ago, hitting two little girls to leave them to bleed out.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean that. I think I'm just wondering if if uh, people are perhaps more alarmed because of that particular heinous horrible incident just was it two weeks ago it feels like it was yesterday
2: feels like it was yesterday but you know I'll tell you something over the last number of years the way that it's been going for newscasters I'm sure it's been same for your newsroom here if they're reporting the news they're just reporting the homicides they don't have time to talk about all the different shootings and all the people who lived by them or all the people who were just missed by bullets and the stabbings that didn't result in deaths there's just uh, way too much of it going on these days across the city
1: (laughs) You should mention that. I have some numbers uh, for shooting numbers. So in 2015, there were 429 victims of shootings. In 2016, 581, 594 in 2017, and so far, that is, sorry, to the end of May, uh, 215. And that is in less than half the year, because that's to the end of May.
2: Yeah. And the issue there is the the thing to track is not the homicides. It's the number of shootings and shooting victims. Because what we see today and anybody who's been around any of these tragic scenes, you see these highly paid, highly skilled paramedics come rolling in. Uh, doing basically doctoring at the side of the road, moving them into uh, the ambulances, which are almost like moving operating rooms, uh, taking emergency runs down to different trauma centers that we spend millions and millions and millions of dollars putting in the equipment just to deal with bullet wounds. And in this case, this is about the third time, I think, too, we've had bullet uh, shooting victims have to go to sick kids, not just a regular trauma center. So the, the number of occurrences... Uh, is is frightening. And the fact that there's not more dead people is more something to say about the money we spend for our emergency medicine than it is to say about uh, whether we have a, a safe city or not, I think.
1: Okay. Uh, has something changed in what's going on with the gangs? Is there some kind of turf war or uh, is there new leadership what's going on
2: the main thing is the police haven't been around since about 2013 to be able to reel them in and deal with them there's been a lot of changes that have taken place uh, within municipalities within the city within the province with legislation within the federal government and with Supreme Court decisions that have basically said it's uh, it's free time for gangs to run around carrying their guns discharging their firearms they really don't give a hoot. They know that the police aren't, don't have the time to come find them. They're not going to search them. They're not going to stop them. Um, and they're getting the run of the city right now.
1: Uh- you seem to be alluding to the carding legislation, is that right?
2: Well, the first thing that came up was the silent elimination of carding by Chief Bill Blair when he was here. That was due to political pressure, and I could speak more about the this the, the false statistical work that was done on the carding to try and prove that somehow it was done being racist. The biggest problem, I'll tell you, with the carding was the fact that the senior brass wanted numbers on it, so the police had to do more and more and more and more. That was a numbers thing, same as a problem with giving out parking tickets or speeding tickets. But the issue is that stopped. Then the province came in and changed the legislation that said not only do the police knock card, but they have to warn people they don't talk to them, they have to give them their name and badge number and say, by the way, if you want to complain about me, here you go. And the police uh, were basically told if you go and stop people, you try to do your job, you'll be complained about. So they stopped doing their job.
1: And who told them that? Is that the union? Or no, that's they? the
2: legislation. The legislation says you don't stop someone unless you've got a reason to do it. Otherwise, you could be investigated. Uh, you'll get dealt with. You could be called racist. You'll have to deal with the complaints. And you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to go into these high crime areas where there's gangsters that terrorize places with guns that are out on parole and probation. You're not supposed to bother them.
1: Okay. But What strikes me here is also there seem to be more in areas where this didn't happen. I'm talking about downtown. You know, we are used to, and, and maybe we're guilty of not paying as much attention to certain areas in the northwest of the city that have been problematic before but we're seeing I mean you hear about shootings right downtown
2: on the way down here driving down Tuffer and I passed the scene of two homicide scenes uh, just not even five minutes from here Libby where where a 13 year old is charged with first-degree murder together with a 17 year old that ran somebody down beat them to death stabbed them to death
1: I've that was a horrible then there story. was
2: another homeless man that was beaten to death by the railroad tracks not far from here we've had shootings uh, down outside the exhibition we've had targeted assassins assassinations in Yorkville. We've had targeted assassinations on in Bayview. And these are all gangsters running around with money, uh, with the money in their guns and their drugs. And let me tell you one other key piece that happened here. When the Supreme Court decided that they were going to strike down the five-year minimum for carrying handguns, they did that. The gangsters loved it. Now they can run around with guns. That's why we saw 60 gun seized the other day that came up from the States. Clean guns, as the detective uh, called them, so they couldn't be tracked to other, other weapons. That used to mean, the legislation was you get five years in jail just for having one of those on you without even committing a crime. The Supreme Court struck that down. Many of the dissenting judges on that said, you struck this down ridiculously. The legislatures have to be able to protect the citizens from this sort of behavior. So that's another
1: problem that we have. Okay, uh, let's take a call from Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Yeah,
3: I agree with what he's saying um, because I, it, I don't know how or some of these laws have been put down. But I used to live inside of Montreal, and I worked a night shift at what is now Bombardier. It was Canadair, and I used to finish work at midnight. And where I lived, I cut through a couple of... Uh, um, what do you call industrial areas? Because where I lived, it was that was a shortcut. And at least at least twice a week, I would be stopped by the police, and they'd ask me what I'm doing, where I'm going. And I did not have a problem with that. Matter of fact, I felt more secure. So what? I, if they want to do stop this, they want to stop the killings. And all they have to do is bring that back again, and it should be a big sign. If you're coming in to Toronto from any direction. It says. Welcome to Toronto, population 2.71 million. And it should say, anybody is subject to search and seizure for guns or anything, else, so that they can do this. Because I don't have a problem being stopped by a cop, but it will stop it. So if, if somebody's got, carrying a gun, like I can, I can go and get a gun and carry it around, I know they can't stop me unless somebody rats me out. And they're not going to rat one another out. But if I, if there is no guns in the street, nobody's going to get hit. You know what I mean?
2: Well, this is the problem too. And you know, the, these gangsters who are doing this, by the way. And I've engaged some people who said, "Well, well, we need to be doing, you know, more basketball games and helping out and doing stuff." You know what? There is, a, there is a degree that we need to do work with young kids before they get involved in gangs. I've talked to mothers who feel that they're young, uh, particularly young black men in these, in these neighborhoods are targeted by the gangs for recruitment. I've talked to mothers who feel that their daughters, as young as nine years old, are being targeted for human trafficking with these gangs trying to turn them into uh, hookers and to traffic them. And uh, I think the people in these places, they want to see the police step in and deal with these bad guys. Because they're really bad guys. They don't need a basketball game. They need to be dealt with, with uh, not even a velvet glove, but uh, an armored glove, I think, Libby.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's really a tough situation. So um, do the laws have to be strengthened? Or is it a matter of more enforcement? We've heard the police union say on many occasions, there aren't enough cops on the street. And uh, on the other side, we hear the police chief saying it's it's not a matter of that they he wants to modernize the way policing is done.
2: Yeah, there is a problem about the number of cops on the street. When they went into that hiring freeze, once again, back around 2013, the police force started to fall down. I went out to these homicide scenes, Libby, and I go out there and I talk to the real cops and they know they're talking to me and they've got no reason to lie to me. And I've talked to, in one one division, uh, a female staff sergeant who told me, and this is in one of the worst places in the city for this, it was just after a mass shooting of people. She said, I haven't paraded a full shift in years. She says, I can't give anybody time off. I, I, I have to cancel vacations. I have to ask people to stay over for shifts. So there is a real problem with being able to be proactive these days. Forget the wage stuff. Don't, I don't care about the wage stuff. They need to straighten that out, but they need to figure out having the right number of cops in these neighbourhoods.
1: Okay. Uh, everybody, please hold on. We have to take a quick break and we will be back with more on whether this is another summer of the gun here in Toronto. Uh, we're just taking a short break. The numbers to call before we go to break, 416-360-0740, toll free one 866
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.
1: Welcome back. We are talking about whether or not this is the summer of the gun redux. The last time was quite a while ago, 2005. We are here with Ross McLean, safety and security expert, former police officer, and we're going right to the phones. We've got Aaron in Peel. Hi, Aaron. Are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. You are a police officer, correct? I am.
4: Yep, I've been one for 28 years, uh, and uh, I can tell you right now uh, my impression of the way things are going, this is the worst I've ever seen. It.
1: Mm-hmm. And why um, do you think that is?
4: I, th- I think that uh, you've got the perfect storm of things coming together in the last few years that have really caused the uh, police to disengage from the community, um, somewhat out of self-preservation, somewhat out of... Uh, a uh, theme that's passed down from the management um, about uh, controlling risk and not exposing the organization to liability Uh, that's really resulted in us going from being uh, proactive, uh, good at detecting crime, which is one of the expectations when I uh, joined policing in 1990, to now uh, more or less responding to it. Uh, Don't uh, go out and stop people, don't Instigate complaints, don't expose the organization to risk or liability, Uh, just go where you're told to go. Um, You know, in the last few years, uh, we went from handing over 30,000 contact cards, interactions with the community, and recording them to uh, last year one. Uh, That's a significant impact on uh, how the community is uh, in safety, uh, the interactions with the police, and the relationship with the police.
1: uh, Aaron, Ross is sitting here uh, nodding his head, so I'm going to let him jump in with you.
2: Yeah, what Aaron is saying is exactly what I've been saying. They, they, these police officers are being told the police this way. They're hearing it from their chief. They're hearing it from their mayors. They're hearing it from the attorney general. They're hearing it from the Minister of Com- uh, Community Safety. And they're hearing it from the past uh, Premier of Ontario. Do not engage. Do not get involved in racism. Don't, just stand back. And you know, for this officer here, I was saying this to you during the break, with the new carding rule, This officer is supposed to walk up to a cold-blooded gangster who he knows is a problem and hand him his name and his card when he goes to investigate him. And I know police officers in Toronto have had death threats against their family from these guys. I also know we've seen cops here in Toronto. One just wrote a letter to the chief that said, you know what, there's no one available to back anybody up here in this city. If I'm going in to deal with one of these guys, I'm calling for backup. There's no cars. Aaron, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, What what, what you're seeing is because we've... uh lost control somewhat of the the active uh, small percentage of the population that engage in the the largest portion of the crime that affects the community, Um, all we do is respond to calls. So if you were to do a a snapshot of a patrol on a Thursday or Friday night, all you will hear is a dispatcher asking for any unit that's available to respond to a call. You know, we have domestics that are stacking up for six, seven hours. We have uh, motorcycle accidents that uh, someone was injured that sat at the side of the road for four hours. Uh, before an officer is available to respond. This is a new normal. Um, we don't have the ability to keep up with the pace of the calls. We don't have the ability to address what's going on in the streets. They, they need to relook at the strategy, how we prevent crime. And, you know, there is a, there is a component, uh, you know, when you talk about intelligence-led policing and specifically targeting groups and trying to shut them down. That's come to an end. Uh, we're no longer looking for the bad guys. We're just cleaning up their mess.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm going to be a a little bit, I don't know, a devil's advocate. So why don't we say that we accept that there have been instances of racism or collateral damage to innocent people of color because of that type of policing? So how do you... Mesh those two things. You want to stop doing that, but you want to continue to get the bad guys. Do you have any thoughts on that, Ross?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this. As I said before, the whole thing started with the star doing a phony statistical analysis. Then you have people involved in what I'm going to call the racism industry. Lawyers, immigration people, everybody else who is stirring it up, saying there's all these problems with it. I will tell you, I, if I was to go out of this station uh, right now and stop the next 10 police cars I see... I'm not going to find uh, uh, three, four white police officers. I'm going to find officers of every color. And I think Aaron will, maybe you'll back me up on this, Aaron. Guys I know in the job, they said if they had someone who they worked with who act in a racist way, they would deal with them themselves. You're not going to work with a racist.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend, <laughs> bury my head in the sand, that there were issues. Absolutely there were issues. Absolutely things were done wrong in the past. Um, but their addressing the carding situation was to eliminate that really significant ability of us to gather intelligence, to catch people committing crimes, to prevent crimes. You know, if you, if you want to go look at the courthouse, look at the number of charges for people that are getting caught breaching conditions, the number of charges that are for people getting arrested on warrants. It's plummeted. You know, you've gone from uh, 80 or 90% drop in some areas of the detection type offenses that the police used to engage in. Um, We don't do that anymore.
1: Okay. Uh, I I have to jump in though. You guys have not answered my question. I'm not saying that the cops are racist. I'm saying, and, and uh, Aaron has agreed with me, there is something to the claim that people who are going about their business have had very bad things happen to them because they are people of color. So, so I'm saying isn't there a way to uh, avoid I'll just, that? I'll just jump
2: in on this. It yeah. didn't happen to them because they were people of color a lot of the times. That's just taking it a bridge too far. Yep. To say there's issues in, in some of these communities... Look, at I, I, I attend... Um, a church out in one of the worst parts of town where there's, I know mothers whose sons have been killed. I know there's a guy in there in a wheelchair who goes around because he's a paraplegic. I know there's a girl who walks around with a bullet in her leg still for doing stuff. This is one place, right? And let me tell you, they're all people of color, the victims. And, And these are the people who need the help the most. These mothers trying to raise these young children of color in these areas. They're the ones who really need the help.
1: Okay, Aaron. Uh, anything you uh, you uh, want to leave us with before we take the next caller? Yeah, I just
4: I think that uh, you know when the media jumped on board with this and, and, and the social justice warriors really propelled the agenda and the theme and the politicians paid into it. They they, they looked at one set of statistics and, and made that fit their narrative. I would suggest to you why not go out and look at victim reported crime. So you take someone that's called the police, dialed nine one one, and reported an offense. Ask them the description of the parties responsible. Look at that if it correlates to that type of enforcement where you engage certain segments in the community. Is it a high propensity of, of, uh, of uh, racialized persons within that community? And look at the percentage of reports for certain you know, violent offenses or whatever it is um, as and, and they relate to the racialized community. And then you expect the police officers to go out and detect crime when they're being told that the parties that have committed this offense, this offense, and this offense match this description, this is what they look like, this is what they look like, this is who you should be looking for. Well, of course we're going to go out and engage the community. Of course we're going to engage with those people. So I'd be careful of just pinning all your hopes on the statistics to paint the police in a negative
1: brush. Okay, Aaron, thanks so much for that. Thank you. Bye. Okay, let's uh, hear from Mary in Etobicoke. Hi, Mary. Hi, Good afternoon. You're on Hello, the air. good afternoon. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. I, it's a bit upsetting to listen to the news every day. And my, the thought that came to me is to get the root of the problem. To me,
3: the root of the problem is those behind the scenes. Those that these gangs are receiving just not change or candies
1: change. And going along and doing these bad things. But those behind the scenes are receiving the millions of dollars. Uh, Mary, are you, are you uh, on a cell phone? Because we're kind of losing you there. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's better. Uh, so you're saying it's the people behind the gangs? Behind the scenes, yeah. We are treating the
2: symptoms and don't
1: get into the root of the problem. Uh, I'm going to let Ross respond to that. We're having a bit of trouble uh, hearing you. Ross, do you want to respond to that?
2: Yeah, I'm going I'm to say this. I mean, she's right. You want the people behind the gangs. I was down at police headquarters when they announced that Project Patton where they nailed all those uh, the five-star generals, right? Uh, 75 people arrested, 1,000 charges. They basically had a gun-running, gun-making operation here in the city of Toronto. Those weapons used to kill people, sold to other gang members, used for things like that. Many of those people they arrested were arrested before as being part of this gang. The chief has said a couple of times, I've heard him say it today, and I'm hoping people are listening, he's talking about this catch-and-release program. They're arresting these guys for violent, criminal, organized crime behavior, and they're getting out. Right away. And they're not getting much when it comes to court time. They're out, they're on bail, and they're committing offenses when they're on bail. Remember the Eaton Center shooting we had down here a while ago that's still going through the courts now? I think it was appealed. He was out on bail. But there's nobody to keep track of these people. So the catch and release program and the courts offering bail so easy is something that has to be addressed that's out of the police's control.
1: Okay, Uh, Mary, thanks so much for your call. I'm going to uh, let you go now. We have uh, Mike McCormick on the line from the police union. Thanks, Mary. Okay, hi, Mike. Hey, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good. So what is your take on all of this? I know we've heard a lot from you uh, saying that the problem is that you don't have enough officers on the street.
5: Yeah, again, you know, like... uh, First of all, that is definitely a position that we take from the association and as a membership and talking to our uniform officers, but also as a police officer that worked in a high-risk community. I worked in the Regent Park community for most of my career and seeing the value of having proactive uh, policing component and the impact on safety and safe neighborhoods. And when we're looking at a police service in a city that's grown by 10%, you know, 400,000 people has grown by in the last five, six years. And I've got a police service that we have 800 fewer officers than we had in 2010. Over 440 officers in the last 18 months have left. And the capacity for us to police in a proactive way is diminished, are absolutely nonexistent. So that is one of the factors that is having an impact on the amount of people carrying guns, the ability for people to carry guns and use guns.
1: What about legislative changes? Uh, we have Ross here. We had Aaron, who is a police officer in Peel. Uh, they say that they are hampered by the inability to use uh, what what's called carding. Uh, and they also talk about leniency, that people are caught and then let go. Right, right. What about those things?
5: Yeah, well, two different things. The first piece around the carting issue, what we've heard, it doesn't matter what police officer says, that there's a value to the intelligence that we used by, uh, you know, doing street checks. What we heard is the community said that's far outweighed uh, the damage that that practice did with the, the communities. Okay, fine. So you took that tool away from policing there has to be something that fills that void. And what fills that void is a proactive community-based policing where you have officers who are embedded in the communities who gather that intelligence, who know who all the players are in the communities, who can look specifically at people who are involved in gangs, but you can't just take everything away, diminish the size of the service and have nothing to support that. And this is what we've seen. We've seen uh, an understaffing issue that has created that. So, you know, if, if, people are saying and communities are saying okay we're hearing the communities we're not going to do that practice of street checks Then give us the resources we need to embed the officers to gather that intelligence to create these safe communities the legislative piece that's definitely something that's concerning us as well uh about you know that sort of (laughs) revolving door as we call it um and that's something that has to be looked at and and when we look at the sentences for people who use firearms in these types of offenses so that's a very frustrating piece for policing. But what I need to do as somebody who is a police officer who's worked in the community, at an at-risk community, you need that proactive, high-visibility component right now so that people who are carrying guns know that they're going to be stopped, that they're going to be arrested, and we've got to take away this comfort level where everybody is carrying. And that's what I'm hearing from our frontline members. They're saying, Mike, we've never seen anything like this Everyone we stop, everywhere we're recovering firearms like we've never seen before. Uh,
1: okay, uh, if we operate on the assumption that mm-hmm. uh, fundamental things about the way uh, the police is operating under Chief Saunders, uh, do you have confidence in the ability to catch these guys? As as both the police chief and the mayor have been saying categorically.
5: Well, I, I disagree with the mayor, uh, and I disagree with the chief on the level of staffing that we have. I don't believe that we have the capacity to do the proactive components. As we started off this conversation, when we're down 800 police officers, and I know what the chief's saying about you know overstaffing and officers who aren't um, uh, deployed in the right way, and I agree with that. We have to have officers who are effectively deployed, not overstaffed. But right now, what we're experiencing is understaffing. And that's the issue that I have with the mayor and the chief right now. And it's got to be fixed in order to fix this gun problem.
1: Uh-huh. And uh, again, would, do you consider this uh, another summer of the gun?
5: Well, what I consider this is the new norm, which is even scarier than the summer of the gun. Because when I look at it from the trending of shooting victims and what we looked at, you know, and, and we go back over like a 10-year or, or, or period, you'll see that you know, by graph, like it's always around, it fluctuates. There are fluctuations, as the chief has alluded to. But if I look at 2014 as being the sort of uh, catalyst year, in 2014, we had around 242 victims of uh, gunplay. Now, uh, what we've seen is a 145% increase. And last year, we had over 600 victims, and this year we're 4% above that. So what we've seen is a steady increase. And now, as this was so summer of the gun, I think this is, if we don't fix this, this is going to be the new norm for Toronto.
1: Ross, what are you... Uh have to say about that
2: yeah there's a question i want to ask mike and i'm i don't like you like asking questions i don't already know the answers to but over on dixon road there about four or five years back we had a real problem with the gangs in there and all the shootings going on and then we did do a lot of embedding of officers over there with a lot of officers working in clubs and that sort of thing and to my mind i haven't heard those buildings in the news the last little while has that been effective over there
5: yeah, you know, and what's what's happened recently is, you know, we've had to pull those officers out and and, and do uh, other duties and stuff like that. So it's effective as long as you have a long term commitment to that form of policing. And so when when we looked at like after the dancing shooting, for instance, and we put uh, officers in the community, we saw a sixty seven percent reduction in homicides. We saw a twenty eight percent reduction in overall crime. There is a value to having that type of policing component. A proactive policing component but you know to my point is that they're there and then you know we look at the 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 shootings that we had in 23 division we had two homicide scenes we were pulling officers from 12 division uh, to come and assist the officers in 23 uh, officers from all over other divisions a 22 division to come and help because we just don't have the, the numbers to to effectively police uh, what we need to do right now in the city of Toronto.
1: Um, Mike, uh, what would you like to leave us with on this? Uh, do you see this perhaps as a wake-up call where things mm-hmm. might change? You know,
5: uh, yeah, that's, that's a great question because, you know, I feel like we've been the canary in the coal mine for the last, you know, 18 months or so saying, you know, this is something that we're very concerned about. I, what I'd like to leave us with is that until the mayor, uh, the chief, community groups want to sit down and have an honest discussion about preventing this, I don't want to hear any more about this being the safest city compared to whatever. When we're seeing children shot in uh, a schoolyard, when we're seeing people shot at a bowling alley on a Friday night, uh, a young lady who, who sh- sh- randomly shot in her neighborhood, all these places should be not only safe, but the ultimate safe places, until these people, like, we got to get away from this rhetoric. Let's have an honest conversation and have a positive impact that's going to save lives and keep our community safe. So I think people need to really show some leadership and have the tough conversations, and let's get moving on
1: this. Okay. Mike McCormick from the Toronto Police Association. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, Ross, uh, we are going to be moving on to another kind of uh, law breaking to do with uh, taxes. What would you like to leave us with?
2: Yeah, I want everybody to keep their eye on the ball on this and do be writing to your councillor and your member of provincial parliament and the new premier designate saying you want to see some action uh, taken on this because I'm tired of seeing these people getting mowed down and killed. And to Mike's point, i love nothing more than to see a, a, an apartment or two in every Toronto community housing area taken over by the police and uses a station that they operate out of there 24-7, 365 days a year, and drop another camper trailer in there with the police markings on it and let them know, you can't do this to these people. You just
0: can't.
1: Okay, another very controversial uh, idea to leave us with. Ross McLean, thanks so much, as always, for being with us.
0: Thanks, Libby.